Hey folks, you're listening to To Know The Land, broadcasting for the Treaty Territories of the Mississauga of the Credit on 93.3 FM at the University of Guelph. Maybe you're listening through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you listen to your podcasts. It's a show about our connections with the land base, how we interact with the land, how we learn about the land, how we defend the land. My name is Byron, and today I guess I, I wanted to tell a story. Um, it's sort of a personal story, but it's a story that's close to my heart. And it's about a lesson that I learned from a dead owl. And I guess I'll start with some prehistory. Uh, I love dead stuff. If you've listened to the show, if you looked at the website, to knowtheland.com, all of this just points to, you know, a, a study in dead things. I'm consistently studying dead stuff. I want to learn about who interacts with the dead things. I want to learn about the, the living animals, but we don't get to see them up close. We don't get to touch them. We don't get to interact with them in a good way all the time. So a dead animal often can replace that and I can look at the movements of an animal's joints and limbs and understand better how certain things happen. I can look at a dead animal's foot and understand how the track is made. I can take photographs of different parts of the animal to better understand how it functions. I collect skulls. I have lots of skulls and I use these skulls to learn myself a little bit more about the natural history of the animal and to learn uh, like lots of aspects of their bio biology. You can, of course, tell what they eat and um, a little bit about like their lifestyle. Just by looking at the skull, I can tell like the position of the spine, thus therefore the, the position of the body, the position of the eyes, therefore uh, whether they like to be in the water or on land, whether their you know, eyes in the front likes to hunt, eyes on the side likes to hide, that old adage. You look at these things and you can tell them by the skull. So I get so much learning just by being with uh, these, these dead animals and the things that they leave behind. And then I also love like carrion beetles and carrion beetles and how they interact with the dead things and their, their life cycles and their natural history and everything about them and how they, like, they are the decomposers and they break things down and enable new things to live from those dead things. And I'd have to say the same for uh, turkey vultures, my favorite, my favorite uh, bird of prey, although they're not quite a bird of prey because they mostly feed on carrion. And so I'm not sure... <clears throat> There's probably someone out there who knows how to properly describe a turkey vulture if most of their relationship to their food isn't as prey but as uh, as carrion. So so much comes from this desire to know more about death and this desire to understand it in a good way. And it kind of seems strange, but it doesn't to me. I've always been fascinated by death and in a healthy way, I think. Like I, I used to work at hospice and 
that's all about helping people die in a good way and being there for people, listening to people and bearing witness. And I think that that's, that's a big part for me, you know, and there, there's also a difference between, I'm not a fan of, uh, of violence. I'm not a fan of, of suffering. And I think that like, I, I, I talked to someone today who was, I, 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 yeah, I talked to someone today who was talking about uh, true crime podcasts. And I just can't do those. I can't listen to true crime podcasts. I think that they're hard to listen to. I empathize with people too much. I think it's difficult to bear the stories of the violence enacted. I can't read too many violent news articles. There's a difference between something dying and something being killed for food uh, than there is something being killed in anger or rage or or uh, unequal power dynamics or um, yeah so many reasons so many different things there that I just like death isn't inherently violent and I don't like the violence of it but I do appreciate the aspects of death I eat every day every day I eat something I'm mostly uh mostly vegetarian but I still eat meat once in a while and I think that that's totally fine and totally good for people and that's great if people want to and it's great if people don't but the violence inherent in how we interact with a lot of animals and how we interact with each other. That's, that's what I find really difficult. That's what I find really, really difficult. But my relationship with death isn't about violence. It isn't about gore for the sake of gore. It's about understanding and, and developing better understanding and hopefully through that better relationship with the living. And yeah, I think that's where, that's a bit of backstory and um, something that, that I interact with death a lot and people know that I interact with death a lot and people know that I celebrate it and I think it's a good thing and I, I want to understand it more deeply and understand the animals around me more deeply and it just so happens I can do that better when they're dead. Sometimes friends will send me pictures of kill sites and I can start doing like a little bit of kill site analysis for them, understanding what's gone on, what's happened. Um, I have some blog posts that are all about documenting kill sites over time. Um, I'm doing a project right now uh, trying to document a porcupine that's decomposing with the help of maggots and flies and uh, hopefully some other animals soon to break that porcupine down and because I'm interested in these things our friends know this that like like I said they send me the photos of the kill sites to help them understand but sometimes friends offer me uh, dead animals that they find and 
This has happened more than once. I was on a call last night with one of my classes and realized, remembered that there is a chipmunk in my freezer. Uh, someone gave me a chipmunk. Yeah, I guess to see if I want to skin it and process it. I don't really do that anymore. I have in the past. I don't really have a need to. So I don't usually. Um, but I think that would be a good thing to bring out to the forest and let some of my students see a chipmunk up close, study them with their eyes, draw them maybe, and then we can uh, set them off somewhere. And uh, I guess it was in April, April this year, a friend uh, found a, a, a dead great horned owl in their barn and had asked if if I would take it and bring it to the school where I work and thus be able to like teach the kids a little bit about uh, great horned owls by getting to see them up close. And I thought this was a great idea. When we get the chance to be with these kids and show them any animal up close, uh, who's dead, we get to really explore and learn more about those animals, like I said. And then especially an animal like a, a great horned owl. A, gr a great horned owl is a powerful animal, um, both in its corporeal form, in its, in its bodily form, in its amazing talons, in its bill, its powerful eyesight and hearing, its silence and how it moves. It's incredible, you know, and its size, this, this, this huge bird. And so to be able to bring a great horned owl to the class and to share it with these kids to instill awe and wonder and reverence is a big deal, is a really big deal. And so I said, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd gladly uh, get to bring in the owl. And so my friend dropped it off and I brought the owl into the school. And that day I showed my class and we discussed the owl, we looked and just like I said, it was full of awe and wonder and amazing, amazing joy and deep reverence, I think, both for the animal and for the for life and death, you know, understanding those things are, are there. And I got to bring this owl to every, every class, every group of people on site that day and got to have similar conversations with them. And um, we decided maybe it was okay for the kids to sort of touch a wing and just feel it, feel this, how soft it was. And to be able to touch something and then go wash your hands after it, but to be able to touch it, to look with your hands, is such an important part for me of how I learn. And I want other people to learn that way if that's how they learn. So to get an opportunity to look at an owl, to, to feel the feathers is incredible. And so I went to every group that day and. Um, 
set the owl aside at the end of the day and then brought the owl again for the new groups, three new groups the next day and shared with them and, and went over the same conversation, the same wonder in these kids' eyes and, and the adults there. It's lots of questions and lots of uh, deep magic and reverence for them. And it made me so happy. And I did this over and over and over again. And then I, I let some folks know when I wasn't working on my days off where where the owl was so that they could get it out and show the kids. And luckily it was cool and the owl wasn't degrading too quickly. And, um, it was wonderful. It was really, really beautiful to share. By the end of the week, a group had asked if they could take the owl out to somewhere special nearby and uh, set, say some nice words over the owl and make a funeral display. And I thought, yeah, for sure, that's a great idea. And I think it's something really special that we do at the school. Um, when there are animals we can encounter, when we come across them, we explore them, we, we see them, we often decorate the place where they rest. And that's usually with pieces of uh, plant material. And it can be, it can be complex. Often it's circles. Um, it can be very simple, a few rocks, a few uh, tall, tall dead stalks of plants. Um, and they're, they're very beautiful. And that's the whole point, to make beauty in honoring uh, these animals who are passing. And so uh, they took out this great horned owl and they laid them in some moss and uh, made a ring of, of like pine cone scales and uh, some rocks and pine cones which had been uh, descaled by red squirrels as sort of like a nimbus around the owl's head. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And the owl's wings were splayed out. They were laid on their back. And the owl's huge. And this display was huge and hidden and, and in the forest there. And, and just so lovely. And it was such a gift to the bird as a means to say thank you. For, for teaching us and letting us be witness to them up close. And the kids just sang some songs and said good words, and it was wonderful. And I, I've heard all this from others, but I've been to similar ceremonies before that we host. And it means a lot to me. And I really appreciated that that, that crew did that and took that on. And because that's it's a it's a joy for the people to do it, but it's also it means a lot in the culture of the school. 
And over the next uh, few weeks, I made it, it was an intention to bring kids by those, those funeral, that funeral display for the great horned owl. And we would visit and the kids thought it was beautiful. And other kids would add more, more like pine cones or more scales or, or debris around in a, in a beautiful circle. And, and again, all of which to celebrate this owl and to honor them and to say thank you and send them off in a good way. And I think probably every group that I, I teach, I brought them there to show them intermittently throughout the spring. And then um, as summer came along, we, we stopped visiting. The area just wasn't a spot that we visited too much in the, in the summer. Um, and we wouldn't, there was no need to go there. Um, and the kids who had seen this animal before, um, when we had them at the school, when we saw the owl at the school, none of them attended or few of them attended in the, in the summer. So I just didn't bring them over there. It just wasn't wasn't something we had to do or, or chose to do throughout the summer. Um, but today, today I went, uh, went to work and we went out for a walk and it was with a new group of kids. Uh, some of them, most of the kids I have taught before in previous years. And um, throughout the day, we saw lots of wonderful animals, lots of snakes. Today, we saw a dead shrew, I believe to be a smoky shrew. And um, it was just, we made a little funeral display for them. Uh, not a big one, but we took some goldenrod flowers and made a bed of goldenrod tucked in the shade of some grasses and it was quite fantastic, quite beautiful. And um, on the way back, to, we went out and on the way back uh, to the school, uh, we thought of a detour. We thought, let's go visit the owl and see, see what's the state of the owl. Um, when we'd visit in spring intermittently, there was no sign of, of anything, no sign of, uh, of any creatures coming by to munch on the carrion or, or even any movement. No, no animals had investigated. There was no debris out of place in the funeral display at all. But when we went back today, we took us a little ways, um, off course to get there, but we visited this this area where, where, where the owl was. And immediately as we came close, I saw the feathers strewn about. And that filled me with joy because that meant that something had come and began consuming the owl. And that's exciting, that's great. Someone got fed. Uh, that body doesn't go to waste. There's no such thing as waste. 
and that body didn't go to waste. That body was for to sustain another body or many bodies. And that just fills me full of joy. And so to step in to the area where this funeral display was hidden and to see those feathers strewn about made me very happy. And I, I looked around and I think when when I look around this time, I don't. I think I felt perhaps in a in a hurry, and I wasn't moving to the space in a good way. I didn't come in quietly. I didn't come in reverentially. I came in excitedly, and I came in quickly, and I came in with a group of kids behind me. And when I saw the skull. I immediately just bent down, grabbed it, and picked it up. And I showed everybody the skull. And then I quickly pulled out a container and put the skull in the container. And sort of looked around again and then began walking away. And then we were leaving the area. And as we were leaving the area, I had this momentum of the kids behind me, of me just leaving and... I realized I just walked in and taken that skull and left. And for me, that's a, that's a, that's a massive disrespect. That's huge faux pas. That's, that's a, a big no, that's grave robbing. That's what that is. That's out and out theft of a grave. And it's wrong in my mind. Um, of my skull collection, I don't trade in skulls. I don't. I haven't purchased any. I haven't traded for any of them. All of them I found. Um, I don't even have any that have been given to me. I don't. I don't think. And. All of the skulls have been approached in some way with gratitude and awe and wonder and love. And um, I've taken the time to clean them. I've taken the time to, to say good words and thanks and gratitude over, over the area where I found them. Perhaps the body was there, perhaps the body wasn't. And that's really important to me. That's, that's incredibly important to me to honor the life that created the skull, that carried the skull, that the skull was a part of, and to honor it in death as well. I don't. I just went to the ROM and I think of it like so much. I'm sure that the like paleontologists and the biologists and the anthropologists and the paleobiologists or whoever is digging up these animals and bringing their bones back uh, for, to these museums 
I think that a lot of them probably have a protocol within their own cosmologies of how to say thank you and how to honor the animals. And as a teacher, I know for me, many, many of my cosmologies is like, oh, I, I will also teach with this. And that's one way I can honor the animals by using their bodies to educate and to show love and respect for, for these animals so that people feel maybe more inclined to protect those animals and not feel so afraid or disconnected. But that's not where it was coming from today. Today it was all about, I want that skull. It's a great horned owl skull. I'm going to take it. I have a great horned owl skull. It's, it's my skull. And slowly this creeping realization of, of what I was doing came on me. And I would think about it again and again for the rest of the day, over and over. And then I started to hear the kids talk about wanting this or that from... Uh, from this or that animal in a way that didn't reflect the values I want them to have or what I want them what I want to instill and uh, one of the kids who I taught the year before was even like didn't you say we aren't going to take anything from that owl the year before and I did I said you know we aren't going to take anything we might come back for the skull that's what I said last year. We might come back for the skull. And that's fine if I had taken the skull in a good way today. I think that that would have been totally fine to feel it out, to ask the animal if it's appropriate to take it and to do the right protocols, whatever they feel like that day, to honor the animal and to take the skull in a good way. But today, that's not what I did. Today, I just took it. And it felt wrong as an individual, and it felt wrong as a teacher, as an educator, as someone who wants to instill value and reverence and love for these animals. And to hear those kids replicating that. And I just talked to them earlier before we harvested from some plants about how to be in good relationship with these plants, how to, how to say thank you for the plants being there before we even ask for anything more you know say thank you for the air plant for the air that these plants are providing the relationship we have how, how they support these other life forms besides humans and then to ask and then to give offerings and to hear no's when it happens and to tell them this earlier in the day and then to have them later on in the day after watching me just come up and take this skull without any kind words or without any generous acts. It's just, I felt wrong. So eventually I got my stuff together and uh, went home with the kids. They went home, I went home. And I was unpacking my stuff later on this evening and then realized my sweater wasn't there. I'd lost something that was very important to me. 
And it's this beautiful sweater that I've been wearing a lot lately as it's starting to get cooler. And it means a lot. And I realize how insignificant a sweater is. And I kept comparing it to the skull and like how important a skull is to an animal's body versus a sweater. You know, how magical a skull is compared to a sweater. How important and reverential one should be towards a skull rather than a sweater. And I was losing my mind over a sweater. And so I, I went out, rode my bike back to the school, was looking around frantically, found the sweater, but all this time it's going through my mind over and over again um, while I'm retracing my steps and moving so quickly about this that like I've done something wrong. I know I've done something wrong and I need to repair that. And so after I found my sweater, which I'm so lucky I did, I'm grateful that I did, I tied it on my handlebars, my bike, and rode immediately to where the owl had been resting and where I found the skull today. And I sat there. I sat in that spot, that quiet, dark spot. And first thing I did once I, I, I took off my other shirt, I was, I was so hot because I'd just been riding so hard. And I said, sorry. I said, sorry to the, to the owl for taking the skull without asking. I said, sorry for taking it without kind words, without checking in first. I said, sorry for instilling that in the kids that I was with that that kind of behavior is appropriate. I said, sorry to the forest around me. And then I listened. And then I offered up some ideas of what I think should be done how I can repair the situation, how maybe I could just teach the kids with the skull and tell them the story about how I did wrong and listened. I listened. I was like, no, no, that's not right. And then so I, I thought, you know, I could put the skull back in the spot and, and come back and keep giving gifts until it felt right to take the skull and starting again. I was like, nope. No, that didn't feel right either. So I just I just continued to sit there explaining things, sort of negotiating, and then stopping and listening. And you know, sometimes we don't listen with our ears, sometimes we listen with our heart, we listen with our hands, we listen by just feeling things out. And letting, letting the notions come. And that's what I tried to do. And I think the best answers that came in that quiet was that the skull needs to go back. I cannot have the skull. I did not do it right. 
and I can do better. And I can, if I want the skull to teach with, then this is just a valuable lesson that I can be teaching others. I can be sharing the story of my impetuousness and my theft. And through my story, be, be an educator in a different kind of way, in a way maybe I did not expect I would be. So this is part of that. This is part of my sharing of that story. And I think it's a way, a mission I can take up because I owe not just for this owl skull, I need, I, I owe for all the skulls that I have, all the, anything, the feathers, the, 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 the apples I taste, the sights that I, I see, the, the wind that I feel, the song that I hear, all of it. I just, just, I owe so much for this beauty. And one of the ways that I can share and give back for the beauty is to share how much I appreciate those things, but also share when I mess up and share in my lack of respect and talk about making amends especially with the kids so they can hear adults talk about how we make mistakes but how we also work to do better I didn't hear that very much growing up and I know a lot of other adults didn't hear that but if we can offer that to the kids uh, in our lives, the ones we teach and that watch us and do as we do, whether we like it or not. It can be a gift bigger than the, than the awe and the wonder of seeing that skull. And it can help me navigate skulls in the future. Reminding me that I, I, there are protocols that I need to create and abide by better in the future. And follow the protocols I've been following. They're good. They feel good. But I need to follow them. I need to trust my gut and trust my, my heart and my values. And what do I want to, what do, who do I want to be? in the world and I gotta follow those so these these are some of the lessons that I've learned from a dead owl and it's it's a lot and I think that uh, in scientific culture these days there's a lot of a lot of words out there about how owls aren't as intelligent as we often perceive them in the pop culture, in, in the stories that we tell, in the fairy tales perhaps, of a wise old owl. But I think that the way that maybe we observe for intelligence in the non-human world 
may not relate back. There must, there's something lost in translation, perhaps. Because this is a moment that I've learned a lot from an owl. And hopefully gained some wisdom and some self-reflection and care for the future. So again, I am so grateful to that great horned owl. If you'd like to see a couple of photos to help detail this story a little bit better, you can check out the website to knowtheland.com and find this episode. And there's a photo of the funeral display and some photos of the skull, which felt appropriate to take before I put the skull back. If you have any ideas, any critiques, any words about this, you can always write to me at knowtheland at gmail.com. I'd love to hear what other people think, any experiences like this that you've had, any thoughts, any of your understandings of vulture culture, of taking from dead animals and either crafting with that or keeping them at home. I just want to know how other people go about this. What protocols do they use? How do they, how do they pay their respects? How do they honor the dead? Thanks for listening. Take care.